All right, what we'd like for you to do, if you would, uh, get your Bibles ready for our Christian stewardship class. Tonight, we will be studying giving. Uh, Sunday, we studied uh, tithing. Of course, in our stewardship class, the purpose of, of the entire lessons that we have taught is to instruct the believer in the Lord to develop the right attitude and the right action toward his God and his fellow man. And, of course, this also involves his church. We build our life around our Lord, and Jesus Christ is well-deserving of all of our love, of all of our affection. He's well-deserving of everything that we have, regardless of what area of our life that we are living uh, it should be built around the Lord. Now, the method of conversion, and some of this is quite redundant to you because we've gone over it over and over and over. First, you gain knowledge that changes your attitude, that changes your action. Now, all of us are in the process of growing. Peter says we grow in knowledge and in grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as a result, when you grow, you do what? You change. Let's say that together. Change. When you grow, you do what? You change. And all of life is changing constantly, constantly. Now, once we come into the knowledge of the truth, that truth remains constant. God is immutable. He does not change. However, our action or our attitude or our knowledge toward our God is constantly changing. Uh, we trust and pray according to God's will that is changing for the betterment. Now, last Sunday in our stewardship class, we taught to you, uh, we taught you the priorities of a good Christian tithing. God, the knowledge uh, that we receive from the Word of God relative to tithing, the attitude that we uh, have relative to uh, tithing, and then, of course, last but not least is the action. Jesus taught us to not just be hearers of the word of the Lord, but to be doers of the word of the Lord. The Bible example we use was Jacob. We also learned that if we are to tithe, that we put it right into our budget. Uh, the tithing should be the first fruits of our income. The 90% that's left actually goes farther than... The 10%, uh, I say the 10%, the 100% that uh, we might uh, have if we do not tithe. Now, don't spend the 90% first because if you spend the 90% first and then you pay your tithing or it's not in your budget, then there's nothing left for God to bless. And the big question is, should I pay on my net or should I pay on my gross? And, of course, I tell people it all depends on whether you want gross blessings or net blessings. Because God has promised to bless you. Now, today, uh, I would like to start on the second priority. That is the family of God in the area of giving. Now, notice we had tithing. Now, we're talking about giving. Now, turn with me before you're seated. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, verse Seven, Second Corinthians nine, verse seven. <clears throat> we 
We'd like for you to read verse 6 also. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. But this I say, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart. So let him give, not grudgingly, or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. God bless you, you may be seated. Now, as we gain knowledge of the Word of God in this particular area, turning to 2 Corinthians 9, chapter verse 6, the Bible says that if we take and sow uh, with money, it's like sowing in the field. A man who... Uh, sows a little bit, only receives a little bit. Now on our church property we have about 16 acres of corn there. With all the rain that we've had, I've been checking this corn crop almost on a daily basis or at least the times when I pass by. Uh, I had a big fear that part of the, the stand of corn might have been wiped out because of the rains. I noticed However, coming to church tonight, it looks like we have a fairly good stand of corn there. Now, there are some low areas on the property in which the corn is not as uh, green, or at least it's a different shade of green, than uh, other areas. But it only stands to reason that if you only have a few stalks of corn out there, your harvest will be limited. But the more seed you put in the ground and the more you get uh, to come up, then the greater the harvest will be. And that is exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying in the area of giving. He said, but this say I, but this I say, pardon me, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Now he's talking about giving. Verse 7 explains that. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart so let him give, not grudgingly. In other words, don't give out of a grudge. If, 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 if you, for some reason, cannot give according to the directions that the Apostle Paul uh, gives you here in this scripture, he says don't, don't give at all. And don't give of necessity. In other words, don't feel pressured into it. We like for people to do it uh, cheerfully. For God loveth a cheerful giver. Now the word cheerful in the Greek, and I looked this up, it simply means hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. Now, can you possibly feature a person giving hilariously? Now, we've already taken our offering. This might have been a good time for us to, to try tonight. But you see, you pull out your money or your check or whatever uh, form you're giving in, whether it be a money order, a cashier's check, or, or uh, just currency, and the offering plate passes by, and you understand that, uh, that God loves a cheerful giver, and you, having the right attitude relative to the Word of the Lord, you're going to give cheerfully. Now that simply means that uh, uh, you give this as hilarious as you, as you possibly want to. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen anybody get hilarious. Sister Grant... Uh, at one time belonged to a record club, and she got records from all over, some of which I don't even like to think about, 
they were all Christian records, but one of them, right in the the middle of a of a nice Christian album, she got this one song about laughing, and uh, this guy he he says his name is Ticklish Rubin, and uh, and he says he's from Vermont and he's been tickled by almost everything. He's been tickled by a feather. He's been tickled by a wasp. He's been tickled by a bumblebee. Well, I don't know how a bumblebee can can tickle anybody. But uh, anyway, he starts laughing. And it's like he's in a big room and everybody just starts laughing. They're just ha, 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 ha. And then somebody else starts in. And, and when I, sometimes I can listen to this. Uh, I remember a couple of times I wasn't in the best of moods. Sometimes, you know, I come home after dealing with a lot of situations that are a little bit trying. And I wasn't in the best of moods. Sister Grant puts this, this dumb record on. Now, I don't normally like to, uh, to use that adjective. I tell the people in the Christian school, now don't be using that because, you see, quite often the kids will say, well, this dumb thing doesn't work and this dumb thing this and this dumb thing. And I tell them, now don't be doing that because that is... That is uh, an example of, uh, of a non-thankful spirit. You know, kids get this way. But, but I use this term or this adjective because that's exactly what it is. I mean, it is just really crazy. And uh, people just start laughing all over the place. And they just laugh and laugh and laugh. And about the time you think that you've heard it all, then some woman in the background comes out with the biggest cackle you've ever heard of in your life. <laughs> and I mean, she just goes on and on and on. Now, I don't care what kind of a mood you're in. If you listen to that, you're going to laugh. Now, you, there is no possible way that you can keep from laughing. And so before it's all over with, I'm just dying laughing. And then Sister Grant turns it off and says, well, I, I knew that I could cheer you up with this. See? <laughs> and sure enough, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, being happy and vivacious and cheerful is real contagious. Now, in certain areas, you hear people just complain about giving. Well, the preacher always wants everything that we have and so forth and so on. Preached a funeral one time. Uh, and in this uh, uh, funeral, uh, man, uh, we were on, on the way to the to the. Uh, a graveyard from the church, and so uh, one of the sons uh, met me outside of the church there, or the the funeral home, and he began to talk to me. Told me that he didn't go to church anymore, and I asked him why. He said, "Well, the reason why I don't go to church is because he said, uh, you know, uh, all they want over there is, is money." And he said, "Because the preacher, that's all he wants." He said, uh, "He's in love with money," and so I quit going. Now, I never met this man before in my life. While I was preaching his father's funeral, I never met him. And as I began to seek the Lord uh, relative to the situation on the way to the graveyard, it seems like the Lord began to talk to me about the individual. After I had put his father in the ground and after we had prayed uh, the dismissal prayer and we had walked away, uh, I met this man on the way to the car, and I told him, I said, I'd like to talk with you just a little bit. So I remember calling him aside under a big cedar tree there, and I began to uh, talk to him somewhat about his church life. And, of course, he told me that he, he hadn't been to church in years, and, and uh, he went over the same story again. I said, now, I, I just want to ask you a few questions. I said, now, you said you stopped going to church because 
that the preacher was in love with money. Now, it appears to me that uh, if this, you know, if your attitude's right relative to money, then when he talks about money or when he collects an offering, uh, if you don't have it to give, then, then everything's going to be all right. And it's not going to be offensive. Could it be, could it possibly be that you dropped out of church, not because the preacher was in love with money, but because you yourself are in love with money? You're in love with money? Could that be the case? He dropped his head, and I told him, I said, Now, I may never see you again. I said, These are real straight words. Now, I personally feel that if your attitude had been right, while your preacher might have pushed too much, I'm not here to judge that situation, and perhaps maybe he took more offerings than what he should have taken, and perhaps he spent more time talking about money than what he should. I'm not here to judge the situation. That may be true or it may not be true. If your attitude was right toward money and you didn't have it to give, it would not have been offensive. If you'd have had it to give and you would have given according to the Bible, it only brings extra blessings to you. God loves what kind of a giver? Hilarious giver. <laughs> Praise God. Now, you, I, now, please understand, when we take our offering Sunday morning, I, I don't expect you to stand up and just, you know, rip your sides out laughing while you drop your offering in. But you see, deep down inside, there's something that's leaping for joy. There's something that, that is there. Why? Because you see, this is a seed. That's what Paul is saying. It's a, it's a seed. One dollar placed in the ground will bring forth a stalk and grow a tree that money grows on. See, that's what he was saying. He which soweth sparingly, though, shall also reap sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap bountifully. So God loves a cheerful giver. Now, unlike tithing, unlike tithing, when you give, faith is required. Now, tithing, I tell people, it doesn't make any difference whether you have faith that God will bless you or not. God will bless you anyway. And the reason why is because tithing comes from the Hebrew, masharah, which simply means the first tenth of your income. Now, God tells you how much to give. He says that you actually owe me 10%, and the tithe belongs to the Lord. And that is a commandment. And so when you give it, even though you don't want to give it, God still blesses you. Well, you could be so angry that you'd step out in the parking lot and kick the stars out of the heavens. And God would still bless you. Why? It's a commandment, and He told you exactly how much to give. However, unlike tithing, when we give, especially to the family of God, and we'll cover this uh, as to what we're talking about here in just a moment, please understand this, that uh, faith is required. Faith is required. Now, how do we know when, uh, when we have faith to give? Well, you see... If you can take out a $100 bill and give it, and at the same time when you give it, inside of your heart there is doubt. You see all of your needs going unmet. You see your broken car unfixed. You see your children's shoes that need to be replaced, uh, not replaced. You see your phone bill being disconnected, see? Uh, as far as I'm concerned, if you give that $100, you have just kissed it goodbye. You'll not see it again. 
And the reason why is because your faith is not there. Now, how can I determine where my faith is? Well, it's, it's like a thermometer. You know, you have a comfort zone. You look at the thermometer back on the wall. There's a comfort zone there. And uh, the comfort zone is the area in which we are hilarious or we're cheerful. And you can get out of that comfort zone, and so there's no faith that operate in operation. Now, if I give the $100 knowing that God will give that $100 back to me plus a lot more, then naturally I'm going to give it cheerfully. But if for some reason my faith is not there and I can't really see it, and I give the $100 and, and I can't give it cheerfully, I just kissed it goodbye. So my instructions to all of you is this. Give what you can give cheerfully. If one dollar is all that you can possibly give to the work of the Lord, or to the family of God, or to God Himself, then I say, then just give that and give no more. Now the tithing's different. We're talking about giving now. But if for some reason we understand that when we give what we give, that we will get it back according to the Scripture. Now, I know a lot of people say, I don't give it to get it back. That's true. Christianity is not a matter of how much you can get, but it's how much you can give. But I also know this, that God does have certain rewards that are at the end of the road. An example of that. I know if I live faithful in this life, that God will reward me with a heavenly mansion. Now, he put it right in the book that way. Now, I know a lot of people say, well, when it comes to the area of giving, I like to just give, and I don't even like to think of getting anything back. Now, if you can give $100 and you know that you're going to get four or $500 back, you're going to have to be a super spiritual Christian not to think of the return. Now, you've got to be real, real spiritual not to think of the return at all. And while it is true that we do not serve God solely because of what we get out of God, he put it in plain black and white writing here as to what would come back in return. So being the Lord talked about it, and I'm a minister of the gospel, I don't hesitate to talk about it with you also. Now, I'd like for you to take and turn with me in your Bible to Luke the 6th chapter, verse 38. This is a very, very important scripture. Luke 6, verse 38. The scripture reads like this. Give, and it shall be taken away from you. That's not what it says, does it? Give and don't expect anything in return. Now that's not what it says either. The Lord Himself said, Give and I will give it back to you. Now when He gives back, He says it's good measure, it's pressed down, it's shaken together, and it's running over. Shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that you met with all, it shall be measured to you again. Now, what the Lord is saying is that, that if you give according to the principles of the Scripture, that is, you're having faith, you just, you just believe that uh, everything's going to be all right, then uh, uh, 
I'm going to give it back to you. Now the problem that I find among many people is that that they talk about sacrificial giving. Now sacrificial giving uh, usually denotes that that, uh, you give something and it hurts you so bad that uh, uh, that all you can all you can possibly visualize in in, in your own mind is that that uh, hey you know if I give this and some people are geared uh, for the negative part of living they they like things hard I've actually met people that if they weren't having trouble they conjured up some trouble in their mind because they weren't happy unless they were sad now that's a hard thing to to understand but there's some people just cannot be cannot be content unless they're discontent if you can understand what i'm saying and some people that way in serving the lord what they like for it to look so hard and so bad that that every time they do something for god all they can see in their mind is you know lean times car running out of gasoline put my spare tire on and it's flat see and uh, you know had to get out and walk and when i got out and walk i jerked the sole off my shoe and had to end up going barefooted, and I ended up with a big blister, you know. And, and just, you know, everything is just bad, you know. Just, and that's the way they like to look at it. Well, it, it's hard for me to equate giving in the Scripture with, with sacrifice. Now, the reason why I say that is because what the Scripture is teaching here is that, that you are actually investing in a, in a savings account when you actually give. Give, and it shall be given unto you. But when it's given back to you, it comes back in a greater proportion than what it went out. Now, if I could possibly take out my checkbook and go to the bank every Friday or whenever I bank, and I could possibly write out $50 out of that checking account and put it in savings, I don't think there'd be a person here that would say, Pastor Grant has really got it tough. I mean, he saves $50 every week. Now, that doesn't sound like tough living to me. And the reason why is because, you see, when I give the bank $50, I'm not kissing that money goodbye. Why? When I go back to that bank and I withdraw that money, I get the $50 plus all of the interest that it has, that has accumulated over a period of time. Now, I wouldn't feel sorry for anybody that's saving money. And for this reason, it's hard for me to say that uh, giving is equated with sacrifice. Now, I hear it a lot. But uh, I think uh, uh, from the standpoint that it, it's coming back to us, not only is it coming back to us, it's coming back to us in a greater degree in which we gave it. Now, this is what the Lord says. He said, give it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Let's take a bushel basket for an example. It's full up. I mean, it's all the way full. And uh, all of a sudden, you, you empty it out. Now, the Lord's going to fill it back up for you. That's what He promised that He would do. But you see, when He fills it back up, He gives you first good measure. Now, that simply means He just puts it back the way that it was. I see, that's good measure. But then he does something else. After the good measure, he said, then it will be pressed down. The Lord has a way of just kind of putting his foot in it and pushing it down. Have you ever gone to your trash can and it looked like it's heaped up and it's running over? It's good measure. 
But 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 you don't have time to empty the trash. And I've done this in my office. I go in there and I just put my foot down in it. And I, listen, I can take that 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 filled up trash basket and I can press it down to the point that it's got a heap of room at the top. But you see, not only is it pressed down, but it's also shaken together. After it's been pressed down, it's filled back up then, and he's going to shake it a little bit. Now, one of the most alarming experiences that you can experience as far as purchasing power is concerned, you go down to the local supermarket someplace and, and, and just pick up something that's, that's sold by weight, not by volume. You get these great big old packages of, of a cereal, breakfast cereals. You bring them in, and you rip open the top, and you look in this huge container. Down in the bottom, there's about this much cereal. The rest is all vacant. And you think, man, what a rip-off. And that's the way you feel. However, when you carefully examine the container, they, they have a big warning just about the size of my handkerchief. And on the back, it says, now, wait just a minute. I'll put it in my own vernacular. Don't get too upset to the point that this ruins your day. You see, this product is sold by weight and not by volume. Therefore, in the process of handling and packing and shipping, some settling does occur. So don't get upset. But you see, the Lord is saying that first I'm going to fill it up. Then what I'm going to do, I'm going to press down. And then I'm going to fill it up again. And then I'm going to shake it. Now after it's shaken, then what happens? He says, then he says, I'm going to run it over again. I'm going to run it over again. And he said, this is what's going to happen. Now he says, if you'll give, he said, men then will give to your bosom. Now, I call your attention at the very start of our stewardship class, how that the prodigal son in Luke 15, when he went to his father and he said, give me the portion of goods that belongeth to me. And he took them and he walked away. Sometimes we think, the prodigal son is making reference to the backslider that walks away from the church, that goes out and, 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 and lives his life, you know, in a big fling. While that may be true, it's also true that it could, it could be applied to many, many people who come in and sit on the pew. You see, managing your, managing your life separate and apart from God's principles of stewardship Puts you in the category of the prodigal. And so as a result, the Bible says he spent his money on riotous living. Now, riotous living is selfish means and selfish modes and selfish ways. Ways that are separate and apart from God's will. Having no direction from the Spirit. Just do what you want to do. And don't worry about anybody else. Then what does the Scripture say that happened to this man? After a while, he lost everything. He was eating in the hog pen. And the Bible says, And no man gave to his bosom. You see, this was a selfish individual. The prodigal son is making reference to an individual who's selfish, that wants everything for himself, to manage the way he wants to manage it, and do with it the way that he wants it done. Now, there is safety in God's will. A lot of people feel that, that, you know, what's going to happen here is I'm going to end up extremely broke. I'm going to be the low man on the totem pole, so to speak. I'm going to be crushed by all of life's troubles and sorrows. 
But if you do what God wants you to do, and you manage your life the way that God wants you to manage your life, you will not have a problem at all. Now, I'd like for you to turn to Galatians, the 6th chapter, verse 10. Now, we're talking about the family of God. We're first gaining knowledge, then we'll talk about the right attitude, and then we'll go into the right action. Galatians, the 6th chapter, verse 10, the Scripture tells us, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. Now, we are to do good unto all men. Let's say all men. All men. Now, we will be talking about the work of God, but right now it's the family of God. And Paul says, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. And certainly you are not to do good to people outside of the assembly at the expense of neglecting those who are members of the true body of Christ. Now, let's turn to James, the second chapter. And we will take a look at his instructions to us. I, I love the book of James. I think it is a great book. If you'll just turn with me to the first chapter of the book of James, we'll, we'll walk through James just for a few moments before we take our break. James, the second chapter, the first chapter is introduced by telling us that, that uh, this entire book is a, is a real book that tests your fidelity and your walk with God in certain areas. The test of obedience, for an example, is found in James 1, verse 22 through 25. The test of pure and true religion is found in verse 26 and 27. In other words, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, that you visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and keep himself unspotted from the world. A man who will not visit the fatherless and the widows and keep himself unspotted from the world does not have true religion. Does it make any difference how much you say that you have true religion. Now the test of brotherly love is found in the second chapter. The test of good works is found starting with verse 14. And this is what we will read in your hearing here to, tonight. James 2 verse 14. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? You see, faith by and large is just a figment. Of that which is inside, unless it makes itself known by outer deeds. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto him, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Now basically what James is saying is this. He says, you know, you see a brother or a sister that's in need. You know they're in need. An example would be you come to a service like this and you see a brother whose head is hanging low. You know that he's got problems. You know he's, he's something's wrong. You go up to him and you say, brother, I've discerned by your countenance tonight that, that you've got a problem. Something's not right. And so he begins to tell you about his situation 
He got fired off of his job. And he's been off of his job now three weeks and you didn't know it. He's not been able to draw any unemployment compensation. It seems like the people down at the state's not too favorable, you know, toward him and, and such. And so they've declined his case for one reason or another. He's just really, he's really struggling. And you know that God has blessed you and God has helped you and you've got some money. And you know that he doesn't have any. He tells you, I don't have a thing. You sit down by him and you put your arm around him and, and uh, you know, you comfort him. And you say, brother, I'm going to pray for, for you. Everything's going to be all right. Now, you just don't get uptight. Don't be worried. Don't be alarmed. And you get up and, you, you know, you shake his hand and say, brother, I just believe God's going to meet your need. God bless you and just keep up the good work. And you walk away. James says, now what good did that do? First place, you didn't meet his need. And secondly, he's saying, you don't really have the faith. Why? Well, you see, you're telling this man that God will need his need, meet his need. You had the money to meet it yourself, but you wouldn't do it because you felt if you gave yours to him, then you would go hurting. See? Now, how can you tell him that God will meet his need? When you don't even believe, if you gave to him, your need will be met. Now that's what he's saying. Now he said, this is the test of good works. Now let's follow this on through. Alright, follow. Now notice what he says. Now verse 17. Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Yea, a man may say... Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith by thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. You know what the word dead means? It really means separation. If you will notice in verse 26. Verse 26 of James 2. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. And so death really means separation. When death occurs, that simply means the inner man escapes and leaves the flesh or the tabernacle or the body. And the spirit then goes back to God which giveth life. The body then is placed in the ground. And you know what he's saying is this. He said it's also true. If you say that you have faith and you have works. No works at all. He said uh, it doesn't work that way. You're not a complete person like that. That's death. It's it's the same as a a burial. It's the same as the passing on. And what James is challenging us to do is to believe God, that God will meet every need that we have, and not only believe that God will meet every need we have, but also help each other meet their needs. We're going to ask you to stand as we close this session. We will be having another session here in a few moments, so we'd like to ask you not to go away. Let's lift our hands and praise the Lord. Would you do that? Praise God. Lord, we love you so much, God. You're just so great to us and so wonderful. 
So magnificent, God. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Oh, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Praise God. All right, turn around and shake hands with someone. And we'll start on session number two right away. With our second half of our session on giving, if you would take your Bibles and turn with me to two scriptures, John 3.16 and 1 John 3.16. Now, a lot of you can quote John 3.16. Do we have anybody in the audience that can, can quote John 3.16? Raise your hand if you can. Well, we've got a number of hands that are raised. I want to ask you to quote it. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now that's John 3.16. Now what we're doing, we're taking the knowledge that we found in the Scripture about giving, especially to the family of God, and we want to talk to you about the proper attitude relative to that knowledge. John 3.16, we just quoted. 1 John 3.16 goes like this. Hereby perceive we the love of Christ, in that He laid down His life for us. So ought we to lay down our life for the brethren. So that's 1 John 3.16. They're very, very kindred in the fact that Jesus laid down His life for us. And John is coming along and saying now, He's doing exactly what James is doing. He said, we want to test you about your love for each other. In that somebody laid down their life for you, doesn't it only sound reasonable that you'd be willing to lay down your life for somebody else? See, Jesus said, whosoever seeketh to save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life shall gain it. And just as we talk to you about money, this time I pull out coins out of my pocket, what purpose, do, what purpose does this coin have? You see, it's a medium of exchange. A long time before they had money, they exchanged valuable items that, that were worth things. Uh, one, one pig was worth one something else. One box of this was worth one cow. That's before they had currency. Coins. After a while, the monetary system came along. When Jesus said, Whosoever seeketh to save his life shall lose it, what he was really saying is that your life is like a coin. It's meant to be spent or lost. That's what he was saying. But whosoever shall seeketh to lose his life or spend his life, shall gain it. You see, whenever I take this and I give this to a clerk someplace, I get something in return. And Jesus was saying, if you give your life, He said, you know what I'll do? He said, then I'll give you life in return. I'll give you something just as valuable as what you, you spent. Now that's exactly what He's saying. Now all of us are going to lose our life one way or the other. You look back in the pages of history, you do not find where anybody lived 
long extended period of times outside of the book of Genesis where men were and their lives were designed by God to, to be long. But some of the great men in our most modern history, some of the great presidents of the United States, they have faded by the wayside and gone by the way of all life. Everything that is around us is in the process of dying, and you will die. Well, it is true that, that I may never be able to uh, choose how I die. I have thought quite a bit about death, and I'm sure that you have. Uh, like I say, I may not be able to choose how I, I die. I, I wouldn't want to drown. I, I, don't like, I like water, but I, I don't like that feeling of being way down someplace. And not being able to get out. I'd hate to go down in a cave someplace and have the thing to cave in on me. And me be trapped. I wouldn't like that. I sure wouldn't want to burn to death. I think burning to death would be horrible. It would be a lot faster than some of the other uh, ways. I've gone to the hospital and I've seen people go quickly uh, by a heart attack. And I've also gone there day after day after day. And I've seen men suffer suffer, go downhill for months and months, sometimes even years, and finally the cancer will get them. I really don't know how I will die. But if I had my choice, and I use the word if I had my choice, of which God may not grant that to me, but if I have my choice, knowing how good people have been to me, and knowing how satisfying that my life and my relationship with my brotherhood has been, it would be my choice if I really know my heart to say, if I could choose tonight, I would prefer to be able to give my life for one of you. And you know, I believe we have people right here that would give their life for me. I really believe that. I mean, I really do believe that. What gives us an attitude like that? This is handed to us through our new birth experience. See, when we take on Christ, we take on everything that Christ really is. And the fact that Jesus knew that he was destined to die, he didn't fear when he lived. I'm not saying that he lived recklessly. I'm just saying that he didn't go around all the time inhibiting, having these fears that somebody's going to hurt him. Somebody's going to rob from him. Somebody's going to steal from him. The foxes have their holes and the birds their nests. But the Son of Man, no place to lay his head. Now, what he was saying is that the right attitude teaches you, in view of the fact that, that Jesus died for you, what's wrong with you giving your life for your brother? Now, 1 John three seventeen, And I'd like for you to turn there, if you would, and we'll read that, because this carries some very, very heavy heavy things it's so beautiful but whosoever hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him how dwelleth the love of God in him question mark in other words how in the world can you possibly say that you have the love of God when you have of this world's goods. Now if you don't have anything. You can't give anything. Isn't that right? You can't give something that you don't have. 
But he's saying if you've got it and there's a brother that's in need, he said, what's wrong with helping him? And if you don't help him and you know he's in need, now don't wait till he comes and asks. See, you don't have to do that. But why don't you help him? That's what he's saying. And if you have it and you don't, what does the Bible say? How can you really say that you have that genuine experience that brought about agape love? Agape love is the ultimate in love. Verse 18, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Now, this sounds like James is writing, doesn't it? How the mouth of two or three witnesses let every word be established. And hereby we know that we are in the truth, or of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before Him. Now what he's saying is that if you will take, and you will give when there's somebody in need, and you know is in need, and you have compassion, this is a test that you will know that you are in the truth. Alright? Verse 20, For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him, because we keep His commandments. Now what is His commandment? His commandment was that you help your brother if your brother has a need. And what He's saying is that this is a sure, sure way in which you will have your own needs met. So you see, when you give, you're meeting not just your brother's need, but you're meeting your future needs as they occur. So, while you give to help someone, the greater need is actually met in your own life, even before it ever does occur. Was it Daniel that prayed for a long, extended period of time? And the Lord then told him, said, I heard you even before that you asked me. And you see, Only God knows what your need will be tomorrow or the next week. Only God knows what your need will be one year from now. Only God knows what your financial needs will be ten years from now. But what he's saying is if you'll keep my commandments, then there's one thing for sure. Whatever you ask of me and whatever you have need of. And this is his commandment. But... uh, This is what John is saying. Now let's go to 1 John, the 4th chapter. Or if you want a book to really tear you apart and challenge you, read 1 John. Alright, 1 John 4 verse 19. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother. Now the word hate here does not mean he's ready to stab him. No, the word hate here means love less. Love less than God? No. You love Him less than yourself. See, Paul instructed us to esteem our brother greater than ourselves. Did he not? See, that's part of the attitude. All right? If a man say, I love God and hate his brother, he is a... Wow, can you believe this language? Now, that's pretty strong, isn't it? He is a what? Wow, let's say it together. Why? Some of you hesitate to say it because, wow, it's pretty strong. I told you this is heavy stuff. All right? 
He is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, that seen with his own eyes, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, he that he who loveth God love his brother also. And how are you going to know if you love your brother? How are you going to know? By your willingness to help him when he has a need. That's what he's saying. And there's no other way, he said, that you can equate brotherly love. It, it's, it's not all this mushy, mushy stuff, you know, when you're just making him feel so elated by, by all of your, your uh, compliments. Well, that may be important. I think people need to, need to be praised. They need to be appreciated. But on the other hand, he said, that's, that's, not, that's not it altogether. Now, we're not going to change the subject, but we do change the vein of thought just a little bit. 1 Thessalonians 3. First Thessalonians three now I have explained this before I don't have any uh, I don't have any complex about teaching on this subject. I like to do it. I think one of the first things you need to learn as you walk with God is how to appropriate a blessing and that's exactly what we're talking about. First Thessalonians three verse seven. Through 12. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Now I'm 1 Thessalonians 4. I think I have the wrong scripture here. So let's go to 1 Thessalonians 4. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not men, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. But as touching brotherly love, notice this. Ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to do what? To love one another. And indeed, ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. Now, increase more and more is showing more love, over and over and over. All right? Verse 11. And that you study to be, what? Quiet. You know, every now and then you need to just think about keeping your mouth shut. That's what the scripture says. All right? That you study. Spend some time thinking of ways in which you can keep your trap shut. Isn't that right? You know, you know some, sometimes we get our jaw in gear before our brain turns over. See, and that's what he's saying, you know, because the, the tongue can really hurt. So you study to be quiet and to do your own what? Business. Mind your own business. That's what he's saying. And to work with your own hands as we commanded you. And that you walk honestly toward them that are without. And that you may have lack of nothing. Now, what he's saying is your attitude, your attitude should be this, that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be pure, I'm going to be a person that loves God, I'm going to put myself on the giving end, not the receiving end. Well, I knew a brother one time who came right up to me and said, Brother Grant, you want to be blessed? 
And I said, well, I always am looking for a blessing. He said, well, I need some money. And he told me how much he needed and said, you know, if you give it to me, the, the Bible says that you're going to be blessed. Well, I understand that. There's, there's no doubt about it. But you see, as the pastor of the church, you see, I've got to look at both sides of this. You know, if a brother comes up to me and said, somebody asked me for some money, what should I do? I would give him different instructions than I would if a man came up and said, I need money, what should I do? And what Paul was saying here is, get on the, get on the giving end, not the receiving end. Go out and get yourself a job and work. And the reason why that he's using this, because it is taught that it's more blessed to do what? To give than to receive. So verse 11 tells us that, that we should be willing to work for what we get. Don't always be looking for a handout. Don't always be looking for a handout because that's, that's, not, that's not the purpose of all these scriptures. Now before you go begging, you should just wait and let God be proved. Now in Malachi, the third chapter, and we read to you, Sunday morning in our our lesson on tithing, that God says, prove me. God wants to to be proved. Now, that's not only in tithing, but he said, you have robbed me in in tithes and what? Offerings. So you robbed me two ways, in tithes and offerings. And he said, prove me and see if I won't pour out a blessing that you're not able to contain. So my instructions to you is this, that if you have been faithful and and supporting the work of the Lord with your tithes, and you've been giving uh, properly according to the Scripture, uh, the first thing that you do when you have a need is see if you can find a way to earn some money. And if you can't find a way to earn some money, then why don't you sit back and wait until God meets your need? You see, David put it like this, I was young and now I'm old, but I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Now that's what the Bible says. You may say, but Brother Graham, what if God doesn't meet my need? Well, boy, I would go and ask somebody to give me some money. I'd go find out if they had some chores around the place that I could do and earn some money. I think it's very, very distasteful for somebody to always go in and asking a brother or sister, would you loan me some money? Now, the reason why that that's not right, because your brother automatically feels obligated according to the Scripture. In other words, you're using leverage over him. You need to think of the leverage that God's trying to use over you. And you may say, but Brother Grant, you don't. Yes, the problem with some people is they live way beyond their means all the time. And their only way to, to compensate is to ask people to loan them stuff. And they know very well that when people loan them stuff, that generous brothers and sisters will not return it. Now, I am representing both sides of this picture. You follow what I'm saying? So my instruction to the per- person who has a need, before you go ask, believe God and trust God. If you've been paying your tithes and, and giving offerings and such, God will meet your need. And if for some reason he's trying to work out something in your life, why don't you go see if you can pick up some extra chores? What's wrong with that? You can say amen or oh me. 
I mean, this is the teaching. We're talking about attitude now. See, what should my attitude be when a brother has a need? What should my attitude be when I have a need? See? Now, we'll be teaching a complete lesson on this particular subject. But 1 Timothy 5, verse 8. And, and this is pretty heavy, too. In fact, this, man, this is almost offensive. But if any provide, not for his own. Now he's talking about a man who is the breadwinner of a household. If he provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house. Now he talks about his own house. He hath done what? He hath done what? He hath denied the faith, and he is worse than an infidel. Now, I can hardly think of anything worse than an infidel. An infidel is a person who does not even believe in God. Now, the only thing that I can find in the Scripture that's worse than an infidel is a reprobate. I I cannot find in the Scripture any person that's worse than an infidel outside of a reprobate. Now, reprobate is a person who believes in God... But he has rejected God to the point in which God just says, hands off. If you want to destroy yourself, we'll just let you be destroyed. You know, that's pretty strong medicine that Paul has given to this young man by the name of Timothy. You know, before Jesus Christ became the redeemer of the world, he was a carpenter. Do you know that before Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles. He built up credibility as a tent maker. Do you know that all of the men that Jesus called in the Bible, they had a vocation and they worked hard? You could not find one place in the Scripture where God ever called an idle person. Gideon was doing what when God called him? He was working in the wine press. And you can go right down through the pages of, of, of the history of the Old Testament. These men were hard working men. And we'll be teaching a complete lesson on this. Now, seeing this then, what should our action be? What should the proper action be? We should budget money for the house of God. Now, each time that uh, we come here in, in the house of God, we take up an offering. I say each time, almost every time. We have a general offering here that uh, is given, uh, separate and apart from tithing. Uh, keep the lights and, and uh, utilities on and, and such. Now, while this is God's house, in essence, it's really your house. It's a place where we meet our brother on common ground. It's a place where we love and fellowship with each other. We assemble here according to the instructions of the scripture by Paul in the book of Hebrews. He also spoke of the whole body getting together in 1 Corinthians 14 when he regulated spiritual gifts. So it's important that, that we understand that, that there, is a, there is a need right here that we take care of. I feel that whenever I designate X number of dollars for general offering, I'm helping my brother and my sister. I'm making this place comfortable and nice so that you can bring your friends and relatives 
as well as my, I can bring my friends and relatives. For this reason, we are purchasing, we have purchased property out on Commercial Avenue, which is County Trunk T or Old Highway 30. We raised $38,000 in one week and a half here to, to purchase that property. People gave, and they gave generously. I've gone places and talked to people about the, the true blessing of giving. Brother Aaron right now is building a new building in, in Milwaukee. And you talk about a real blessing. That's going to be a blessing. That church is 10 years old now, and they're still meeting in an office building. I preached in that office building. That building office, I think, is about 15 feet wide and about 60 foot long. Just a long, shotgun-type building. But I remember going there and talking about Christian stewardship and God meeting their needs. Nobody having any idea as to what each other would give. They knew in order to purchase property in North Milwaukee, they needed $20,000 down. They had approximately two-thirds of the number of people that we have on this side right here in that service that night. And I ask each person if they would get down and take a piece of paper. Husbands and wives could confer with each other. And write on that piece of paper how much they felt God wanted them to give. You see, I am a firm believer that if stewardship is practiced properly, there will never be a need that the church will have that will not be met. And there will never be a need that you have that will not be met. Why? Because you see, you're managing God's estate, His affairs. A purpose that's much greater than human purposes. A purpose that far surpasses the one of a selfish individual. And so they all got down on their knees and they began to pray and they began to seek God. And they stayed on their knees until Brother Aaron and I tallied up the results in the front of the church. And as Brother Aaron stood before his group of people that night and told his people within, I forget now, a week or two weeks or whatever it was that they, they needed the money to, to put down on the property. They needed $20,000. They were all believing that, that, they, that, that it would happen and they prayed and, and now here are the results. Brother Aaron stood there and said, Here's what we need. We need $20,000 plus closing costs. And he said, we have pledged tonight $22,000. There was such a beautiful spirit that swept across that building. I remember going to a dedication of one of our churches. The pastor asked me if I would take the offering. I remember staying in the motel overnight. And I remember kneeling down beside of my bed. And the Lord specifically talking to me and said, This church has a particular need. I went to the pastor before the service and I said, Do you have a need here? He said, You just go ahead and take the offering and don't mention any needs. But I stood before the people that day and some of you were there. And as I began to talk to the congregation, the Spirit of the Lord came upon that congregation. We took a cash offering. We had approximately twice the number of people we have right here in that dedication service 
And when we counted the offering that day, there were $9,000 in that offering. His secretary, after she had received that money, came up to me before or after service, and she was weeping. And you know what she said? She said, Brother Grant, this is an answer to prayer. She said, now, our pastor didn't tell you, but he said before service, we all gathered in the office. And because it cost us so much to build and we set the date of dedication, we had to buy chairs and because the pews haven't come in and a good number of things we had to take care of. He said, did you know we all lay hands on those books and we pray that God would meet the need. I said, Sister, how much money do you really need? She said, Brother Grant, we needed $9,000. Praise God. You see, God is able to meet those needs. All of you are well acquainted with this, or most all of you are. Some of you are not, and this is the reason I'm telling it. But I remember two years ago now on my birthday, we had a pastor here, Brother Bailey was with us, and he took up a special offering here for my birthday. And I received $330 in that offering. I wanted to buy a new office chair. And now I had the money together, which I thought I could buy a new desk chair. I went home on a Sunday night after receiving the offering. It was on Thursday that a brother called me, and this brother told me. He said, Brother Grant, I'm calling you because you're the district superintendent. And he said, I feel that I need to inform you that I'm in bad financial trouble, and so is our church. They built a little church in northern Wisconsin. They dedicated it. They had a number of needs to to crop up there. He said, I I don't don't know. He said, "I, I just have to call you. I'm not begging. I'm not doing anything, but I'm just telling you. That you believe that we should pay our bills. And and we believe that. And he said, I know that God called me this city. And he said, we've been teaching home Bible studies and such. I asked him, I said, have you been faithful in supporting God's work yourself? He said, I really have. I said, well, what about your people? He said, they have too. I said, well, I don't really know what to say at this present time. I really don't know what to say. He told me, he said, I'm two months behind in my house. Note. And... uh, I asked him, I said, now how much is your house note? Do you know how much he told me his house note was? It was $330. Now you remember this, I told this. And automatically I got to thinking, now I got $330. But at any rate, I didn't say anything. That night I came to church here and I stood up before you and asked you if it's all right. If I could give this brother the $330 so he could make a house note. See, his office was in his home. He didn't have an office in the church. And he's about to lose his office while I'm thinking about buying a nice chair for mine. I said, that just doesn't seem quite right. And all of you stood up that night. It was a unanimous vote that I give to this brother that $330. I simply ask if there's anybody here would like to give. After service, people started giving money to me and giving it to Sister Bryant and such. Sister Bryant came in my office and I took the money out of my pocket people had given. They'd earmarked it by putting their names on it with clips and putting it in check form or in envelopes. And whenever we spread that out on the table and counted, there was $1,750. I remember even somebody walking up to me, a child walked up and gave me a quarter. 
and said, would you send this up to that brother? The Spirit of the Lord really didn't move, see. And so I called the brother up and told him, I said, we have $1,750 for you. He didn't say much. There was a long silence on the other end. He said, Brother Grant, you didn't have to take from. I said, we didn't take from anything. Uh, People just handed me this money. I stayed in my office for a little while that evening, and he called me back. And when he called me back, he was crying. He said, I want to tell you the whole story now. He said, you know, my wife and I were so depressed and down about being financially just bankrupt. He said, I went over to the church and spread all the bills out on the altar. and said, now, Lord, I've been doing everything I know to do. We still owe all these bills. He said, now, here they are. The Lord told me, he said, now, go call Brother Grant and tell him that you don't have the money to pay. And that's all he did. He didn't tell me how much. He didn't know himself. But do you know when he hung up what he did? He left those bills on the altar and he and his wife ran over there and picked up all those bills and added them up on the adding machine. And they totaled $1,749. Praise God. Besides this, the brother didn't have a job and that was one reason why he had been turned down on a job that he knew was his. Two days later, he called me and said, you know what happened? I was turned down on that job. They called me back in. And they told me that they decided to let the other man go. And they gave him a good salary driving a brand new company Oldsmobile car. You don't think God cares? You see, when you give according to Scripture... You are assuring yourself that everything's going to be all right in the future. You know, I could just go on and on and on with stories here. We're talking about action now. We're giving you some examples as to what you really do need to do. I remember going up in Alaska and I presented this same program. By the way, I could give many examples and call names of people right in this assembly. They could stand up and testify to stories equally as great as the stories that I'm telling tonight. But there was a brother that had been financially down for a while. And and he felt that the Lord spoke to him about giving to their building fund. And he talked with his wife and says, I know that God spoke to me. I don't know how we're going to do it, but I know God spoke to me. And let me just interject something here. Stewardship, by and large, is managing what you have, not what you don't have. And I tell people, start with managing what you have and managing it right before you take all of these great leaps by faith. Because you'll find a lot of faith leapers. They don't manage what they have well. So they nullify the blessings of God. You hear me? You listening to me? People who won't pay their bills and such, even when they have money, don't start making great big pledges because you've nullified already your blessing because you're derelict in responsibilities. Won't charge you anything for that one. But this brother told me, I know that God 
told me to do this. I asked him, I said, have you been supporting the ministry with your tithes and such? Yes, Brother Grant, I always have. I have since I was a kid. My father's a minister. Went on and on and on. Did you know what? He made a pledge. And the next day while he was working on his job, he had recommended a job to a brother that had just moved there, moved to his city. They called him up. And told him that they had interviewed the man that he had recommended and the man wasn't qualified. But they said, really, who we want to talk to is you. And we'd like for you to come over. And he went over. And would you believe it was working with an insurance company. His base salary of 20 thousand dollars that he was already receiving on his present job was then converted on his new job to a base salary of over $40,000 per year. I can call this man's name. I, I know what I'm talking about. Individual needs. We're just talking about needs in the house of God. Budget money for the house of God. Budget money for individual needs. Now, I have a savings account. It's a small savings account. It's very small. Sister Grant and I don't save a lot of money. But I tell people that they need to save if they possibly can. And you don't need to live on credit all the time. You know, take your credit cards and cut them in half and put one of them in the bathroom in the, in the trash and the other one in the trash in the kitchen so that some miracle of regrowth don't reoccur. See? See? Get them away from each other and... And, and get out of debt. I, I really promote that because I really believe that financial binds and, and pressures can, 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 can ruin your walk with God. Now you see, what I know is going to happen, I know that somebody here is going to have a need in which I will need to meet. I know that. And so we put this in our budget. You see, I don't think that all the money that I manage will be used for me personally. Why? Because the Scripture tells me otherwise. So my action would be that I set aside some money and, and budget some money. I just remember one time a brother that we had that was unemployed, and I knew that he was unemployed, and I knew he had a need. And I remember taking some money to him. I met him down in the hallway, right back in the back. And it's kind of dark down there. And I gave it to him and talked with him down there. He said, Brother Grant, you're the pastor of the church and I'm not going to take anything from you. I said, listen, I want you to take this. And he took it. He took it. And I, I just knew that, uh, you know, that, uh, that he needed it. He, and he did. And he cried about it and such. Now, I really needed that money. Now, I really did need that money. There's no doubt about it. I really, really, really did need that money. Sister Grant and I just simply got down by our bedside and prayed. Did you know a brother called me and said, You know, I was just praying this afternoon, and the Lord told me that I need to get you over here to preach. I drove over, preached two nights, and he took up one of the most generous offerings that I have ever received from a church for us. Now, the thing about it, the, the amount of money I gave him was just about one-fourth of what I got in return. I remember, and I told this story not long ago, I remember helping someone in the assembly 
And uh, I was talking to uh, members of my family, and I was telling them, I said, I just helped somebody. Didn't tell them who, but uh, I said, now, I'm just going to tell you what happened the last time I helped somebody. And I was telling them what happened the last time. Now, that's not making reference to the first story. But I was telling about helping somebody. I said, you know, it never, never, it never fails. God always meets the need. I just, and so I helped somebody. And you know, we were in the car. We drove in the driveway. I got out of the car. My wife and the other family members went inside. Somebody drove up by on the road there. And he got out. It was a boy that stayed in our home for a while. He was a member of this church before he went off to the Air Force. And he walked down in the yard and opened his wallet. Now, that's how he greeted me. He said, you know, I, I'm just traveling through, and I was over at the shopping mall. And he said, Brother Grant, you were so good to me while I was here. And he, he pulled out a, a $50 bill. And what well, was only a fraction of what I handed a, a person here in the assembly. Now, please understand, I'm not rolling in dough, and I don't go around just handing out money all the time. But I and, and I walked back in the house and I said, don't you remember me testifying about this story coming down the road? I said, now, let me tell you something. And I said, you know who that was out, out in the, in, on the road? And I told him who it was. And I said, you know what he stopped by for? I said, he was over at East Town. And he was just thinking about how good we'd been. And this is what he gave in return. I remember my car. Uh, the transmission went out of it. Not the one I'm driving, but the one that I was driving prior to this one. Uh, Sister Grant and I came on to church. Well, on a Saturday was we got an estimate. The uh, the amount to fix the car was $200. I came to church, preached that morning. We had a sister of this church to walk up to me out the coat rack. It was a cold winter morning. And she said, you know, I was down praying last evening. And said, so the Lord spoke to me. You know what Sister Grant and I did? When we had our need, we got down by the bedside and we said, now, we held hands. We do this quite often. And we looked at each other and we said, now, hon, we're going to take our need to the Lord. Now, he said he'd always meet this need. And uh, we, have, we have tried to be faithful as much as we can and not be derelict in our responsibilities. We held hands and we prayed. And we said, now, Lord, we don't have the money. We need $200. This sister walks up, hands me an envelope. When I got to the car, I opened it up and I count the money. How much money do you think was in that envelope? you have any idea? $200. Exactly what we had prayed for. Exactly. I mean exactly to the penny as to what we had prayed for. Now this is, this is something just recently happened. In fact, last week. And listen to me very carefully. Sister Grant and I got down by the bedside and we said, Now, Lord, we need some money. And I called the amount we need. I need almost $600, Lord. Now, I've got to have this and I've got to have it right away. Now, Lord, I don't know really what we're going to do, but I really believe that you're going to help me meet that need. I got up the next day, went about my business, came to church, went over the bank. I was going out of town. I came home. Now, this was last week, and right in the middle of my bed was a check. It was made out to me, and I looked at it, and it says, Pay to the order of Reverend John W. Grant, $600.
I said, what, what, what's this all about? My wife said, do you know this, this brother? A brother of this assembly stopped by the house. And uh, he told Sister Grant, said, the Lord spoke to me and my wife and told me to bring this over to you. I, I, I could believe it because I believe the Bible. I wish that I had the time to go on and on and on. These are faith-building stories that don't all pertain to me, but I could go on and on and on. Now, in our next session, we'll be talking to you about giving to the work of God. We talked about tithing. That's to God. Giving to the family of God and the house of God. And our next session will be on giving to the work of God which I think is one of the most exciting sessions of all because it really does test your faith when you start giving to people that you have don't even know. And we're going to go over the Bible, friend. We're not going to deviate from the Bible. Now, let's just let me give you a clue, however, in closing. I'd like you stand with me if you would. Inasmuch that Christians are very generous... Make sure that your generosity is always regulated by the Scripture. Now, for an example, please do not co-sign notes. It's not wise, and it's not wise because the Bible tells us in Proverbs 6, 1 through 5, Proverbs eleven fifteen, Proverbs 17, 18, Proverbs 20, 16, Proverbs 22, 26 through 29, and Proverbs 27, 13, these scriptures tell us not to co-sign notes. In other words, if you have money, you give to people, but don't extend yourself to the point that you're saying, I will stand as surety for your note. The Bible says only a fool would do that. So don't co-sign notes. Now, I think if you're a father and you've got a son who's getting established in the world or he's going to college or whatever, if you're willing to stand as surety for him because you regulate his finances by and large or you're his advisor, it's a different situation altogether. But outside of that, the Bible says, don't do it. Praise God. It's been great being with you in this session. Let's lift our hands in closing and praise the Lord. Thank you, God. Lord, we love you. We worship you, God. We appreciate you. We praise you, God, so much. Oh, hallelujah. God, you are so great to us. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, I want Brother Moran to turn off the bright lights, and I want Sister Grant and Sister Rutherford to come to the uh, piano in the organ, and I feel good, and I want to sing, and I want you to clap your hands and sing. Turn off the lights so I can see everybody, and we're just going to have a Holy Ghost good time in this song. It may only be one song, but we're going to enjoy it. Praise God. Do you believe that Jesus is coming soon? I know He's coming soon. The signs of times have been fulfilled, and Jesus Christ is soon to return for His church. Praise God. God's people are hungry. 
They want to do everything they possibly can to be the scriptural person that God tells them to be. This is the reason why we're going into this. I don't consider this business of giving as being offensive. I simply state what the Bible states. If you're a Bible believer, you'll believe it. If you're not a Bible believer, you won't believe it anyway. Nobody can twist your arm and make you believe it. Praise God. But you know, I found this. It is so comfortable just yielding to the will of God. Somebody asked me, he said, how long have you been in Madison? I said, well, almost 12 years. How much longer do you plan on staying? Until the Lord tells me to go elsewhere. Doesn't that bother you? Nope. But you've got your family in there. Uh, you know, I've got two sons married here. Doesn't that bother you? Nope. That doesn't mean I'm excited about leaving my children. You see, I've just lived long enough and I've been acquainted with the Lord long enough to know that He doesn't do anything to hurt me. Well, He likes to do good things. My happiness and contentment is always predicated upon His will. And you know, if I stayed too long, and I'm not giving this as a farewell message... I have no intentions to leaving. I don't know of anybody or any place I'd rather be than right here. Right smack dab in the middle of this. But if God chose for me something else, I, I, that, would, that would just be it. You see, I feel comfortable with God's choices for me. And I, I try to get people to feel comfortable with God's choices for them. Paul said, whatever state you're in, you should be content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Praise God. I just, I just want to serve the Lord and trust God all my life. I want to give myself to God. Now, please understand, when I talk about giving and such, I believe that God wants you to increase. He wants to help you. But I do not believe that the cross was designed to make millionaires out of people. Now, a lot of us don't have much because God can't trust us with much. You see, if He blessed our accounts with a lot, we'd blow it on selfish things. Not according to His will. Now, please understand, I do believe that there's a portion that you should spend on yourself and such. You should take care of your family. We'll be teaching some sessions on that when we get into family life. So you shouldn't give it all away to the point that, that your own household suffers. You're supposed to take care of them. Isn't that true? But uh, for the most part, God can't trust people the way that He ought to, wants to trust them. But I think He gave us a little bit of an idea of uh, how that we ought to live. He told the, the rich young ruler, He said, Go and sell all you have and give to the poor. What happened? The Bible says he went away sad because of what? His possessions were great. Now, can you imagine if this man had passed that test and sold everything he had and gave it to the poor, what would have happened to him? Jesus went on to say, if any man give up in this life, I will reward him 100-fold. See, God was trying to take this millionaire and make a multi-millionaire out of him. But he wouldn't pass. He couldn't pass the test. He was fearful. 
the answer is that we just submit ourselves to God and whatever you want, Lord. We just do it. And we just live the way you want us to live. But seeing this course, I want to live the way He wants me to live. Close your eyes, would you? Lift your hands. I want to live the way He wants me to live. I want to give until there's just no more to give. I want to love, love till there's just no more love. I could never 